Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome in, everybody. Yeah. Episode 6. We. Yeah. the podcast. Oh, yeah. America. The Air Tour Sports Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Friday. February 3rd, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. Hope everybody had a great Groundhog Day. And I hope everybody's ready for a loaded Friday episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know about today's show. We're going to talk a lot of college hoops. So we're going to open with something I was thinking about this week. So many of you may not know, but Duke Carolina, the first Duke Carolina game is this Saturday. And I had a thought. Has the Duke-Carolina rivalry lost juice? I think it has. I explain why. We will discuss that. We'll get to a couple other odds and ends in college hoops, including, by the way, Nate Oates signing a fat contract extension. He is staying at Bama. He is not a candidate in Texas. I am guessing when the terms come out, he will not be a candidate pretty much anywhere. From there, we're going to switch gears, throw it over to our bi-weekly guest, Jamie and Christian, the former Division I head coach at Mount St. Mary, Siena, and George Washington. This guy is unbelievable. So we went in a deep dive in just college hoops in 2023, okay? We talked a lot about NIL, the portal, how you build. How much does NIL really matter? It wasn't breaking down, you know, Providence or Texas Tech or Iowa State. It was just a real world. Where are we in college hoops? Where are we going from a guy who has lived it and a guy who talks about this stuff basically all day, every day with people in the industry. Finally, we wrap with our Friday staple, Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. Uh, and by the way, next couple of weeks will be a little bit of a, a, a downtime in sports once we get past the Super Bowl. If you have any guest ideas or segment ideas or anything particular, always feel free to DM me at Aaron underscore Torres or hit me up uh, on Instagram, actually, Aaron, Aaron Torres Pod. Uh, also, email. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. The topic of the day, listen, I'll be blunt. Obviously, the biggest story in sports since we last recorded, Tom Brady did announce his retirement. And some of you hit me up. Are you going to do a separate, uh, you know, an emergency pod about Tom Brady? I don't really think it's necessary. Tom Brady didn't make a big deal about this, uh, you know, this particular retirement. He went into retirement last year, came out, 
This one feels different. He looked beat up. He looked tired. He looked worn down. I think the family stuff wore on him. We'll talk about it a little bit in Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. But mostly, I just want to say congratulations to Tom Brady. I hope he enjoys his retirement. As I've said on the show a couple times, I always believed, you know, his stated goal was to play till he was 45. He did so. He won a Super Bowl post New England approved Bill Belichick wrong. And now look, I, I think with, with the family stuff going on, it never made sense for him to move to San Francisco to play for the 49ers, move to Vegas to play for the Raiders. So I believe we have seen the last of Tom Brady in the NFL. Want to congratulate him. He made it to 45 and now it's time to move on. Speaking of moving on, let's get to the real topic of the day, because obviously most of the NFL season is done. We got one game left. We'll probably talk about it on next Friday's show. But why I bring it up is because it's really getting to be that time with college hoops. Really fun time of year. We're starting to figure things out. As I said, Jamie and Christian will join me in a minute. But we have a lot of really interesting games this weekend. Indiana plays Purdue. I think they might be the two best teams in the Big Ten right now. Iowa State hosting Kansas. Kansas all of a sudden hot, but playing a tough Iowa State team that nearly won at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. I've seen ESPN promoting the you-know-what out of uh, Florida at Kentucky. That's the, the late game on Saturday. I think it's an 8.30 Eastern time start. We have a ranked matchup in the WCC, Gonzaga at St. Mary's. So a lot of really good games this weekend. What I have found interesting, though, is it does feel like there is one game that I don't think is getting the general promotion that it has historically. And it's a, it's a game, it's a rivalry between two schools in a little place we call Tobacco Road. North Carolina traveling to Duke. Many of you, as I just said, I bet a lot of you did not even know that this weekend is the first Duke-Carolina game. And I'll just ask you this. Does it feel like Duke and Carolina has gotten less hype than ever before coming into this one? Because it sure feels that way to me. Now, I know what some of you say, Torres, there's no way you can say that it's getting less hype. They're having college game day there, um, you know, whatever. But what I'll tell you is I do think there's a little bit less hype. I remember previous years and not even just the crazy final coach K regular season game last year. That was like, you know, ESPN didn't shut up about it for, you know, weeks on end. But I remember previous years, it felt like every time you turn on TV, Duke, Carolina, Carolina, Duke, they're playing Saturday. They're playing Wednesday. Make sure you watch, do this, do that. It's on every ESPN show. And it feels like over the last couple of days, we really haven't had that. Now, some would say, well, there's less hype because the teams aren't as good. And I do believe that. I think there's probably something to that. Neither team is playing great right now. Carolina's coming off a loss at home to Pitt. Incredibly, Pitt has won three of their last four at Carolina, which I don't think most people realize. Now, Pitt's pretty good this year, but that's neither here nor there. And on top of that, Duke is only 6-4 and four in their last 10. Both teams are 7-4 and four in the ACC. I think most people think Virginia is probably the best team in the ACC. I'll take it a step further. I think NC State is probably the best team in the state of North Carolina. Beat Duke at home. Lost to Carolina on the road when their best player, Turquavian Smith, got hurt. And so it just feels like there's not as much buzz. And it feels like, yes, part of it is that neither team is good. Part of it is that both teams have dealt with injuries. Armando Baycott was out. Now he's back for Carolina. Jeremy Roach was out. Now he's back for for Duke. Uh, Derek Whitehead was out, is out for Duke as we speak right now. But I'll tell you, 
it, it, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that there's less buzz or at the very least less excitement. As a matter of fact, I'll take it a step further. On Thursday, I actually put this poll out on Twitter. I said, Duke Carolina, first game, post-Coach K. Um, and I said, how are you feeling? Are you excited about Duke and Carolina this weekend? The poll results on Twitter, now they're unscientific. I'm not claiming that, that you know, uh, Twitter is the Gallup poll or the Nielsen ratings or anything. But I found this very interesting. The options were, I am more excited than ever before, the same level of excitement, less excited, or way less excited. Those were the four options. In total, 49% of people said that they are less interested in this ride. 49% said they are way less interested than ever before. 28% said they are less interested. Not great at math. 48 plus or 49 plus 28 should be in my head. 77%. Three out of four people that responded to this poll, I think it was around a thousand responses, said they are either less interested or way less interested than ever before. And I'll tell you, I'm with them. And I think there's one reason specifically why I'm less interested. Well, two, one, the teams aren't as good. But the second reason, the reason I want to talk about something we talked about surrounding the final four when these two met in New Orleans last year, I'll be honest, there is one other variable that makes me feel like this game is less intriguing than it's been in a while. That is the absence of Coach K. Now, I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, Torres, but I hate Coach K. I can't stand that guy. That guy was the worst. I'm so happy to see him out of college basketball. To which I would say, maybe you do hate Coach K, but that's kind of the point. Love Coach K, hate Coach K. Love Duke, hate Duke. You cared. You wanted to tune in to watch him win, or you wanted to tune in to watch them lose. There was no middle ground. Nobody has like sort of an opinion on, on Duke and Coach K. Nobody's like, yeah, you know, I could take him or leave him. Like, this isn't, uh, you know, the but whatever. Uh, Switzerland here. Switzerland's neutral. You were not neutral on Duke with Coach K. You either loved or you hated him. But why I bring it up is because that is the crux of sports, and that is why I think this rivalry is lacking a little juice right now. In sports, listen, the diehard fans are always going to watch. If you're a diehard fan of college basketball, you're going to be on the couch all day Saturday watching as many games as you can. You will obviously watch Duke Carolina. If you're a diehard Duke fan, you're watching Duke games. If you're a diehard Carolina fan, you're watching Carolina games. But at the same time, what brings in the casual fan, what makes the casual fan want to watch is you need a villain. You need emotion. You need somebody who creates emotion in you when you watch them. It's why when Tom Brady went to Tampa, you still watched Tampa. You never watched Tampa before, but you watched him now because you either loved Tom Brady, you either hated Tom Brady, you either thought that he was the problem in New England and you want to see him fail, or you thought that Bill Belichick was the problem in New England and you want to see him succeed. You were happy that he, you were happy to see him whatever, or you were disappointed that he got shoved out of town and you wanted to watch. It's the same with the NBA. The ratings, the best ratings are right now the Golden State Warriors. You either love Draymond or you hate him. You either think Steph Curry is overrated or you're like me. You used to think he was overrated and then you've come full circle and realized he's a pretty darn good basketball player. LeBron James creates emotion. Ohio State football creates emotion. Nick Saban and Alabama create emotion. Texas A&M creates emotion. You either want to watch him win or you want to watch him lose, but you're going to tune in to see Jimbo Fisher crash and burn. And so without Coach K, 
I'll be blunt. I think that was so much of what made this rivalry. And by the way, it's worth noting. I'm a little bit of a college hoops historian. Before Coach K, Dean Smith, in many people's eyes, was the villain. There were a lot of people in ACC country that felt like Dean Smith got all the calls at all the moments at all the times. It was always Dean Smith. He always got the benefit of the doubt. Then that became Coach K. Now there's really nobody like that, at least in the ACC. And certainly neither of these coaches create emotion. Think about college basketball right now. The the teams that you want to watch, again, I think it's the coaches that create emotion in you. Kentucky still draws insane numbers because people either want to see Kentucky crash and burn or they want to see Kentucky succeed. They either hate John Calipari, can't stand him, blah, 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 want to see him lose, or they're a Kentucky fan and love him. It's the same with other teams. Gonzaga. You either love the Gonzaga story, small school, Spokane, Washington, built themselves into a power, or you sit there and say, their schedule is so much easier than everybody else's, I want to watch them lose. Kansas. Well, they get every benefit of the doubt. They always get the calls at home. Bill Self, he's gotten away with some stuff. So you watch Kansas. I take it a step further. I think some of these new guys, Eric Musselman in Arkansas, I know for a fact he drives several of the SEC fan bases crazy. But you watch. You want to see him lose. You're happy when he fails. Unless you're an Arkansas fan, then you want to see him succeed. I think, and maybe I'm too close to it, I think there's a lot of uh, big Big East fans that want to see UConn fail because UConn's had success in the past because Dan Hurley makes all those faces. He yells and he screams. He whatever. And so I bring it up because... Emotion is good in sports. When a person or a game or a team creates emotion, you tune in. How much less are you watching the Patriots right now? But Belichick doesn't create emotion in you anymore. He used to to drive you crazy. Now you're just like, he stinks. And right now, I think it's kind of the same with Duke and Carolina. Listen, I cover college basketball for a living. I talk to people in the sport every single day, basically 365 days a year, okay? Talking to a former D1 head coach in 10 minutes with Jamie and Christian. But at the same time, I don't know that John Shire or Hubert Davis create emotion in me. I think I like Hubert Davis, you know, was around him at the Final Four, thought he was really sharp, thought he was a a great coach. The players were bought in. But I'm not like standing on a table. I love this guy. He's my guy. I'm going to war with him. It's certainly the same with John Shire. Like I said, I cover the sport. I don't know if he's interesting, boring, fun, different, this, that, the other thing. And so it's a very interesting idea as we go into this rivalry for the first time post-Coach K, the first time of Hubert Davis versus John Shire. And I'll go back to something else that I said when Coach K retired last spring. I believe that for the good of this rivalry, for the good of college basketball, and for the good of whatever, I really hope that one of these two programs, if not both, sorry to all the other ACC fan bases, But I hope one of these two programs, if not both, gets really, really, really good. Because as I said at the time, what's going to be best for college basketball, best for the ACC, is if John Shire is either really good or he's really bad. Okay, and what I mean by that is that you're going to tune in. If he's really good, it's going to drive you crazy because you said they just had Coach K for 40 years. I hated him, but he was kind of pretty good at the end of the day. Or you hope they're really bad. They're kind of like Louisville. They're a complete disaster. They're a train wreck. You got to tune in to see it. What you don't want, though, is what Duke is right now, which is just kind of, eh, they're all right. They're nothing special. They beat Boston College and Virginia Tech and Wake Forest at home. But 
They got smacked in a couple other road games. They got smacked at NC State. They got smacked at Wake Forest. Oh, by the way, still two games against Carolina. They play Virginia this week. And so I bring it up because I just feel like Duke is kind of in that middle ground right now. I want John Shire to be really good. Not because I'm a Duke fan, but because Duke creates interest. Duke creates excitement in this sport. Duke makes you want to watch these games. Same to a degree with Carolina. I hope Hubert Davis gets really good really fast. Made a Final Four last year. Um, has the num- Had the number one team in the country this year, and they're struggling. I hope they get hot. He's recruiting well. Because when they're really good, people care. So that's really my only thought on Duke Carolina. If I had to pick a winner, I'll probably take Duke at home. But it speaks to the fact. I don't know that I got a really strong opinion about this one. Um, but I do think. I think there's something to the fact that this game just doesn't feel as big we don't know the participants. We don't know the coaches. We don't know the players. We don't, you know, we know the uniforms, but we don't know John Shire like we knew Coach K. We don't know Hubert Davis like we knew Dean Smith and Roy Williams. Be interesting to watch on Saturday. Interesting to watch on Saturday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Couple other news and notes from college basketball, and I think this is a big one that I do want to make sure that I get to. My buddy John Rothstein who has been on this podcast as a, as a guest. Good friend of mine. Well, I wouldn't say he's a good friend. I like John, though. I think he's really good at what he does. I think he cares about college basketball. I respect the hell out of him. John Rothstein reported on Thursday that Nate Oates has received a multi-year contract extension through the 2028-2029 season. The deal is worth exp- uh, uh, expected to be worth approximately $5 million a year and make Nate Oates one of the highest-paid coaches in college basketball. First of all, let me say this. I don't think it's surprising. I remember when he signed the last extension two years ago during the run to the SEC title in 2021, he signed a big contract extension that year. And in that year, I looked at one thing, and one thing stood out to me about the contract. If you tried to hire him after after the first year of the contract, you had to pay a $13 million buyout. The buyout then dropped to, quote unquote, only $9 million this year. But I remember saying at the time, I said, this is brilliant by Greg Byrne. Pay for Nate Oates, but make sure that buyout basically makes it impossible for him to go anywhere else. And what I said at the time was, I said, and guess what? If Nate Oates is that good, you just rework his contract two years from now and give him another big buyout so he can't leave. And so that's why I think this story is important. Not because it makes Nate Oates one of the highest paid coaches in college basketball. He deserves it. He is a great head coach. But what you never want to do is give somebody a window to hire away your coach. 
We talked about it when Texas fired Chris Beard. I said, Nate Oates would be my number one guy. $9 million contract extension or $9 million buyout. Who cares? You're Texas. Make the move. Pay him $8 million a year. Give him the Lincoln Riley equivalent contract, Brian Kelly equivalent contract. Who cares? You'll make it back. It's the SEC, D1 college sports. Texas, you got more money than you know what to do with. Nate Oates would be my number one candidate if I was Kentucky. If and when John Calipari eventually leaves. It's worth noting, Nate Oates has Michigan ties. Tom Izzo, not going to be around forever. Juwan Howard could go back to the NBA at some point. So there are a lot of places that make sense for Nate Oates. Now, again, I think that some of the off-the-court stuff was a little bit of an issue. The, you know, in, in a very serious, and I'm not making light in this at all, but the alleged murder of one of his players, one of his players allegedly murdered uh, a female on campus about a, a month or so ago. And so I just bring it up because maybe that cooled the market for Nate Oates a little bit, one of his players having a major legal issue. But at the end of the day, he's a great coach with great upside. He's only 49 years old. And credit to Alabama getting this done right now so it's not something their fan base has to worry about. Two quick things. One, I know that in the Alabama community, there's big talk about getting a new uh, arena on campus. We'll see if that happens. I'll also say this, and I've talked about this quite a bit. Unless I'm misreading, Eric Musselman, the other really rising head coach in the SEC, and I understand you know, they're a little bit struggling this year. He only has a $2 million buyout right now. If I was Hunter Yurchek and Arkansas, I would get that done yesterday so you don't have to worry about it. Really quickly, some scores since the last update that we had. You know, Xavier just winning a thriller over Providence the other night. I'll give Xavier credit, man. Sean Miller has exceeded my expectations. I have obviously been as high on Sean Miller as anybody, but they're now 18 and 5, 10 and 2 in the Big East. They beat Providence in overtime, 85 83, one of the best games of the season. And I'll just say this about Xavier. One, they got all the pieces to make a run. Two, this was maybe their most impressive win of the season because remember this about Xavier. They had a star forward, Zach Fremantle, who went down with an injury a few days ago and is out for about the next four or five weeks to the end of the regular season. The fact that they got this win without him, I think it speaks to who they are and how good they can be. Incredible win for Xavier. They are now 18 and 5, 10 and 2 in the Big East. They are tied for first place with Marquette. Marquette gets a big win at home. Eight, uh, they, they get a big win at home against Villanova. They also 18 and 5, 10 and 2 in the Big East. It's crazy as it sounds. Villanova 10 and 12 this year post Jay Wright. Unbelievable. Uh, they are finally healthy. Their star guard, Justin Moore, coming back from an injury he suffered in the NCAA tournament last year. So we'll see if they can turn a corner. One other note in the Big East. St. John's blew a 13-point lead at home against Seton Hall. Telling you, Rick Rick Pitino, make it happen, St. John's. Make Rick Pitino happen. Make it happen. Trying to think of anything else that happened in college hoops. On Oh, really quickly, I'll just say, Tennessee fans, I'm sorry. Said nice things about you on Monday. You immediately flatline against Florida. Listen, we'll have more time to discuss it. We'll probably hit on it, Aaron right, Aaron wrong. This is always the concern with Tennessee. Do they have those dudes, those guys that can just go get you a bucket, right? I know that Cason Wallace can go get Kentucky a bucket when they need it. I know that Ricky Council can do that for Arkansas. I know that Jalen Wilson can do that for Kentucky. I know that, um, you know, whoever. I'm trying to think of the other good teams in college basketball this year. I know that Brandon Miller can do it for 
for uh, for Alabama. I know that Keontae George can do it for Kansas State. I don't know if Tennessee has that guy. So Tennessee loses on the road to Florida. This is just a game. Listen, it's one game. It doesn't mean that much. But at the same time, I'll also say this. If you're really a national championship contender, Tennessee, that's a game you should win on the road. They fall. Tennessee just just right on brand with kind of who they've been and how they've played. They take the loss to Florida. As I mentioned, a couple really interesting games this weekend. Purdue playing Indiana. I think they might be the two best teams in the Big Ten. Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, Florida. We'll talk about all of them on Monday's show. This is what I want to do, though. I do want to take a quick break. And when I come back, I want to welcome in my buddy, Jamie and Christian. So Jamie and Christian, former Division I head coach. Uh, he was the head coach at Mount St. Mary's, multiple NCAA tournaments there, Siena and George Washington. Uh, was also a uh, longtime assistant under Shaka Smart. He has joined Aaron Torres Media. Two weeks ago, he actually joined the show to just talk ball. He's back. I'm going to throw to him next, and he is so good. We talk about the portal, NIL, where we are in college basketball. Jamie and Christian coming up. Going to take a quick break. Be right back. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. We're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story. Started in 1967 in the UK. Over 1,600 shops in the UK have come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, Colorado Rockies, Denver Broncos. And what I love about working with Betfred, nobody does more for their customers than Betfred does. Okay, I've told you before, but I'm going to keep telling you. Cincinnati Bengals games, that Betfred suite is rocking. They had a New Year's Eve into New Year's Day party for the launch of sports betting in the state of Ohio. Shout out to all of you who were there. Obviously, beyond that, there is the Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. We have sent listeners of this show to those tailgates. Colorado Rockies, first pitch at those games. Betfred does more for their customers than anybody, and here is what they are doing. For listeners of the Aaron Torres podcast, okay, so what you got to do. Bet 50 on any game, and new users, how about this? Get up to $1,000 in free bets. There are no catches. There are no gimmicks. Here's what you need to know. Bet 50 on any game, you get automatically $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get $200 insurance on your first five weeks as a Betfred customer. So you decided, hey, I'm going to bet this big game, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever. You end up losing it. They're going to insure you for that game. So up to five weeks, up to $200 plus $111 for signing up for Betfred today. You're going to want to do it. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Tell them Torres sent you. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, the Betfred Sportsbook. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, second time in a couple weeks. He is, of course, a uh, contributor now with Aaron Torres Online, writer at Aaron Torres Online. He's on the College Hoops Daily uh, podcast with Zach Kroll, and he's also, of course, uh, a former Division One head coach at Mount St. Mary, Siena, George Washington, Jamie and Christian, by the way, I almost said George Mason in that introduction, so that would have been bad. But what are you? What's going on, man? How you doing? It's good to catch up. I'm, I'm doing great, man. I'm here in Providence at the National Prep Invitational event. Oh, um, right. great event! Watching these high school players play and uh, getting a chance to talk some ball with a bunch of friends here. It's been a great day. Fantastic. Well, uh, yeah, I just kind of want to catch up on some college hoops. You know, first of all, let me just ask you this. So, you know, you've been in coaching, I I think, since you've basically, you know, gotten out of college, right? Since you finished as a player, you know, a few years ago, many years ago, but I I don't want to say many, but um, like, how were you enjoying being on the other side? I know you and Zach talked about it a little bit today on the College Hoops Daily Show. But I'm just curious, you know, I mean, every everybody, um, you know, you, you want to work, you want to be in, involved in the game. But I remember talking to like Sean Miller this time last year, and he was talking about how he was enjoying taking a step back, seeing how other people do it. Obviously, you know, he took a lot of what, what Tommy Lloyd was doing with his former Arizona team, and he's having a ton of success with it. But just, you know, being in the quote-unquote media, you know, talking with me and Zach every week, how are you enjoying this process and kind of seeing the sport maybe from a different perspective? Yeah, well, well number one, I, I love ball. I love having a chance to talk basketball, to be around basketball. It's my life's mission. I mean, I, had, I was coaching college basketball before I, I even graduated. I had my first first job offer. So I love basketball. I love the opportunity to do what I get a chance to do every single day. I love getting a chance to impact others. And what I'm trying to do at this time is really just trying to get refreshed, trying to see where the game is going. I feel like I have a better understanding of basketball right now than I've had since I was probably a teenager because I'm just able to watch with fresh eyes. I'm not watching because I have to prepare for this team down the road. I'm watching because I'm curious and I want to learn. And, and I think that's been great for me. Having a chance to watch the very best every single night. I think there's, you know, when you're coaching in college, my job is to prepare our team. So I'm watching our practice film. I'm watching our opponents. I'm not really getting a chance to watch the best game on a Wednesday night like I do now. So I'm enjoying having a chance to do that. But I can tell you the other thing is, I'm really getting hungry to to push towards a, a championship level team again. I'm really getting hungry to do really hard things with really exceptional people and to push towards that. So I'm feeling great. I'm loving the media stuff I get to do. I love getting to spend time with you every single day. I'm hoping this time next year we're talking about one of our teams having a chance to really do great in the month of March. What are some things just watching other people that, you know, either you knew but have have been reinforced or you're just watching um, Marquette on a Tuesday night or uh, UCLA on a a Pac-12 Thursday that that you think you'll take with you next year? 
Well, you know, you know, number one, it's just how these people are building their teams. Uh, Marquette, for example, is a great example. Coach Smart has a team that's, that's built similar on both ends of the floor. They can play positionless basketball if they need to, but they're also smart and organized enough to be able to sit down and defend and understand scouting reports. You know, watching the tempo that Arizona plays with and how they're playing two bigs and how they're using that kind of personnel. You know, a lot of college basketball right now really seems similar. There are a lot of teams that are running similar sets, similar actions. So having a chance defensively to look at all of it and say, what is the best way to stop this? You know, like when you're watching Arizona, the best team to watch is Washington State because they defend that action very well. And by the way, Arizona, Canisius, Dayton, you know, there are a lot of teams that run the same action. So learning that, oh, Washington State's a great film to look at to learn how to guard Arizona could help me be prepared for someone else a year from now um, or even when I start my preparation in the summertime. So I think just being able to see it with fresh eyes and to not have to be emotionally involved in the outcome um, has really just, just given me something that, it was, it, I would say it was the perfect timing for me to be able to have a really strong reset and to really know where my passion lies and to learn a lot more about how teams are playing. So let me ask kind of a, a dumb follow-up there is that, you know, you're talking about all these different teams that you're seeing that you're doing, but you also talked about how teams are being built. And one thing struck yeah. me, and I, I know you saw this tweet that I put out on, on Wednesday night, Tuesday night, whatever it was, I was watching Xavier Providence. And I think, you know, we think of the big East as kind of a developmental league and it's not a one and done league. And there, you know, at last year, Tyrese Martin from UConn was the only guy drafted from the big East. And so I bring it up because I'm watching this game and Providence has five starter, five, five, they lost all five starters from last year, all five starters this year. Now one was in the program last year, but all five starters were transfers. Four weren't even in the program last year. Xavier. Now, Sean Miller inherited a lot of those guys, but they came via the transfer portal. I'm just curious, like, like you know, one, you talked about how programs are being built, but two, when you get back in or the people that you talk to um, is, is like, 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 what is, I don't even know what the question is. I just was blown away, right? Because I think we think of Arkansas and Eric Musselman as a transfer school or Fred Hoiberg as the transfer guy or even John Calipari every year he's flipping over his roster but when you see a Providence Ed Cooley's been there 10 12 15 years whatever it's been he's been doing it the same way the entire time three four five year college players mostly developed internally and now basically his entire team is out of the portal it just struck me how quickly the sport has changed and I'll just be curious you know when you do get back in or when you're talking to people, just how different this is. And I know we kind of talked about this a little bit last time, but I'm just kind of blown away by how quickly it's flipped. It's the way it is. This isn't a complaint about the transfer portal. I'm just blown away by how quickly it's all changed in such a short amount of time. Yeah, it's really different. Um, you know, when you're looking at and it's easier to explain like teams, like we talked a little bit about Creighton and you look, you say, man, Creighton doesn't have a lot of depth, you know, so they lose a starting center. And there's really not a backup that can hold the fort there. Well, what happens on a lot of these teams now is you're just not going to have depth. Your sixth or seventh man the year before that was a freshman is going to transfer to an opportunity where they have a chance to play 20 to 30 minutes. Now, if you have an all-league player at that center spot or at any position that's starting five, it's really hard to convince someone else to transfer in to be the backup for that person and not have an opportunity to play that, play that amount of playing time. So that's no, the number one observation that I had is like, the question is, how do you build a bench in college basketball right now? Mm -hmm. um, now, the way the SEC and the Big 12 are doing it, they have a ton of NIL money. You can tell the places that have a lot of NIL money because they have depth. 
Okay. Um, and with your seat, <laughs> you have depth, right? Because their collectors are paying into it. So they have players on the roster who are really good who might not be playing, that might be redshirting another year, or they might be sitting out. And they're going to be able to find ways to have depth because that money is making a big difference. And you're seeing that in the SEC and you're seeing that in the Big 12. Um, that's going to be really strong for them. These other teams will start to figure that out. But you're seeing a migration of really good players going and being role players um, on some of these other rosters that they were starters on other rosters. So those are two of the observations that I have. It's just how do you how are you building a team now? And it's really about your ability to use resource. You know, now when you talk about Eric, like Eric Musselman, at Nevada was the was the king of the transfers, bringing guys in, but he only played six or seven guys on those rosters at Nevada. You know, it, it was like they, it was feast or famine with the guys they played, and they had a roster full of transfers, and he didn't play everybody. He's not doing that at Arkansas. A lot of depth, playing a lot of different guys. Someone goes down, he has a really able body behind it to have the opportunity to play there. So he's taking what he's learned from the transfer transfer stuff at Nevada and being able to apply it even better now at Arkansas, and that's allowed him to be good. Uh, we talked about Ed Cooley briefly. He's taken some transfers at Providence before. Um, so he has a good understanding of the transfer market. And he does an exceptional job. And I don't know if we can say this enough, but Akuli, he does an exceptional job of changing to fit his roster. And a lot, of, a lot of coaches, when you watch, they can only play one way. They can only have certain type of players that can play for them. To Ed Cooley's credit, he's been forced through the years to have to adjust to the roster that he's had and he's consistently done an amazing job with putting the, putting them in the top of the Big East. And that's whether that's pressing or trapping or playing zone or running flex. He's got a lot of stuff in his bag that he can use to help his team become one of the best, and he's not afraid to use it. So, uh, first of all, it's really funny you mentioned about the depth because Bryce Hopkins at Providence is kind of the perfect example, right? Probably if he had stayed at Kentucky and he had some – not so flattering things to say about John Calipari this week, which is fine. That's his prerogative. But if he had stayed at Kentucky, he's probably the sixth or seventh man right now. Now he's playing like an all Big East guy at Providence. Really quickly on the NIL stuff. I, you know, it's such a kind of there's a lot of different layers to it, right? Um, but I think in, in college football, it's a huge conversation about collectives. If you're not lined up, if you don't have all your ducks in a row, it's going to be hard to recruit at an elite level or even not even recruit just to retain the players on your roster. Um, talking to people and we don't need you know specific schools or specific names or specific coaches, but what is the collective space in the NIL space in college basketball right now? How important is it? to get in the door with an elite high school, well, maybe not an elite high school player. I think that goes without saying, but transfers, depth, red shirts, um, you know, are there schools? And again, you don't have to name them where that isn't, you know, that they're still recruiting based on system and this and that, because what I just say really quick is I think in football right now, it's very interesting is that you have a lot of schools that are selling, Hey, we're not going to pay you up front, but you come here, you're going to develop. You're going to be well coached. You're going to be this, you're going to be in position to make, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions on the back. And we're going to get you something. We're not going to have you, um, you know, uh, scraping couch cushions for, for loose change on a Saturday night, but most of that money is going to come when you have success. And then it's going to come even further on the back end. Cause we think we can get you to the NFL in three years. Just what is going on in, from what you hear in the collective space, how much of a decision is it for most players, some players, elite transfers, all that kind of stuff. Well, I think the conversation starts with what can you do in the NIL space? It's such a buzzword right now. Every parent, every recruit is going to ask that. Um, it doesn't mean that that's the final part of the decision, but it is becoming a major part of it. It is, it is something that people are interest, interested about, they're curious about. Now, it's still a little bit of like the Wild West. Um, you know, it's not like 
Arkansas has to share what they're doing with their collective with Kentucky. So everyone's kind of keeping what they're doing NIL wise as secretive as possible mm-hmm. um, to keep whatever advantage that they have. And again, they don't have to self-report what they're doing. So they're trying to figure that all out and give themselves the best advantages. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, with the collective, there's a range of things that people can do and people are starting to learn what the range of things that they could do. Um, and so you're going to start hearing about this stuff in the media, these different ask and wants from players about what they want for their families, what they want for themselves in the NIL space. It's going to get really, really wide for a while until we can kind of narrow, narrow that space down. So those are other things that people are, people are trying to learn what they could do with the NIL space um, and just what they're in and just what's most important. Um, so I think the NIL right now, there is not a set thing on what can be done. So people are really trying to take advantage of it at the highest level. Uh, I don't think it's going to go away. Obviously, I think it's going to continue to grow. But I do think colleges, universities with collectives are going to try to find ways to make sure that players are playing at a high level and are earning that money and not just taking it. Um, and so I do think over the years, we're going to kind of see this being pushed back t- towards performance, which is not supposed to be. But I think you're going to start seeing that want and need for that to happen because no one wants to give a, give a, a, a player $100,000 and then they don't play a second. Um, you know, so I do think naturally that's going to start coming back in. Um, I don't know when, but I know collectives are already trying to find ways to make sure that players are performing and, and, lead, and doing the things they need to do to gain that money from the collective. Yeah. One thing I would say is, you know, just even myself in the media company, we've had a chance to work with a few players in NIL stuff. I could promise you not everybody, even at the power five, power six levels, making the money that everybody thinks that they are. Um, but I'm sure there's some players that are being really well taken care of. You said something really interesting there. And I, I just want to, and I don't even know if it's a question as much as it is just a thought that I've had for a while is that I think even two, three, four years ago, there was this idea, and, and and maybe it was a situation that you dealt with on on one end or the other w- with players, right? Is that, you know, there was a time where it felt like the players had no rights, and we we as the the coaches, the the media, the fans, the whatever, we're taking advantage of them, right? And then NIL comes in in the one time transfer, and I feel like this is another thing from a public perception standpoint that's completely flipped. And I forget if you and I talked about this last time, but like you know, Deion Sanders comes into Colorado, says, "I'm bringing my own luggage. It's Louis. Like some of y'all got to get out of here." Like, are you even surprised at you know? Nobody's a fi- nobody except maybe Dion is saying, hey, uh, if you're not good enough, you got to leave. But I think even the public now has an understanding of like, OK, if we're going to pay these players, if we're going to, you know, like you said, if we're going to take care of them and not all of them are making millions or even hundreds of thousands or even tens of thousands in some cases. But there is like it's not all give, 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 give and get nothing back. I'm just kind of blown away by just how the public perception has changed where even like two, three, four years ago, the idea of quote unquote, running a player off, uh, pulling us, you know, I guess not pulling a scholarship, but running a player off was like, it was like a four letter word. Now it's just kind of like, yeah, well, the guy's not really playing well, send him down a level or whatever. I'm just kind of blown away by how quickly those conversations have changed in the public. Yeah. And I would, I like to add, I think you missed one key factor in there. Sure. You know, obviously we have a one-time transfer. We have NIL, but we also have for the first time ever where you can gamble on college sports. True. Mm-hmm. And I think they're all really linked together. Um, 
you know, now fans are not just watching the game to see who wins, but they're watching the line on the game. They're watching to see if he makes a free throw at the end of the game, if the ball, you know, who gets the ball first, like the prop bets that are popping up. So there's a lot more that's going into the game right now that allows for it to be transactional. Yeah. You know, where I really felt like the best thing about college sports was it was a transformational relationship that our players had with their fan bases. You know, watching Cam Newton, Cam Newton come into Auburn, and be so celebrated after only a year there and what he was able to do for Auburn football in just one year and his, his ability to be celebrated, watching what Tim Tebow was able to do at Florida. Those are transformative relationships that college sports have always provided. And we're slowly turning into a transactional relationship that we're having with our players. It's just going to be very interesting. It's going to be uncomfortable. Um, I really do believe it's going to be uncomfortable. You know, when I talk to administrators and coaches around, you know, one of the things we loved about college sports was that, you knew who's going to be there. You knew who's going to be on the roster. One of the things you don't love about your pro teams, you got to burn your jersey every, you know, you got to burn your, your jerseys every other offseason because guys are moving around so much. And I just think that's what we've got to be able to get comfortable with in college sports for a little bit. It's going to be trans, it's going to be transactional. I do think like all markets, it will settle down and loyalty um, will be redefined and, and players will stay and, and coaches will stay and it'll all work like it was before, but it's just going to take a little bit of time for it to settle down right now. Because I do believe college is about transformational relationships, and that's some of the best parts about coaching young people. Well, I, I would just say to that, I've said on this show many times, um, we've been heading towards a professionalization of college sports for a very long time now. But one thing that I've never wanted as a consumer is for it to be professional sports. Um, and I'm I'm afraid that we're getting closer and closer every day. But I also think there's a lot of stuff to uh, that that's still to love, and and I'm with you. Is I I do think we're gonna find kind of a even watermark or whatever you want to call it. I mean, even you and I were talking about, uh, pro, you know, privately, but it's nothing like bad that we were talking about. But the portal, even like that first year of the one time transfer when everybody went in versus last off season, it felt like it wasn't quite as hectic. And the one thing you know, and I follow the college football transfer portal as well is I think there was this belief that because NIL was in place, oh, everybody's going to go in just to see what they can get from somewhere else. And it really wasn't that way. It was, you know, group of five guys, mid-major guys looking to go up a level. It was guys whose coaches got fired, or frankly, it was backups that weren't playing anyway. So I, I think we're already starting to see it. Um, and I think we'll continue to do so. Let's let's just talk. Let's do some positive. I, I want to do some like glasses half full college hoop stuff here. Just being able to observe the sport, give me a team or two, because this is a wide open year. And I, I say it all the time. I think most years, you know, I think most years there's this perception that the sport is really wide open. And I don't think it generally is in the way that most people think it is. I think most years you can really narrow it down to about six, seven teams by the end of the year that can realistically win it. Um, who are just teams that you're enjoying watching at this point in the college basketball season? Cause again, you're able to observe different things, different, whatever, who are the teams that like you look at the schedule first thing in the morning, you say, Oh, that team is playing. I love watching them. I got to see what they're up to tonight. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm really curious and, and this week I've been expanding my college basketball brand. I've been trying to watch wait, watch other teams and just learn more. And so this week I, I had a chance to watch a lot of Wake Forest and I was excited there about you them. You know, they've lost four games in the ACC. So maybe they're not a national championship level team, but they're a team that's fun to watch um, their ability to spread you out and how they space it. I mean, when you look at teams in the ACC that really space the floor, Miami and Wake Forest do the best job of it by far. They also be happen to be teams that really essentially play without a big on the floor. So it's going to make for an up-tempo style game. Like 
when these teams make it to the NCAA tournament, it's going to be a challenge to beat them um, because their style of play on the offensive side of the floor is so unique and so different in how they open up the lane and get to the front of the rim. They're just creating so many different opportunities. And you don't see that a lot in college basketball where you're essentially playing with no post player and a lot of different guards are getting in and out of there. Um, and then conversely, defensively, what that allows them to be able to do, they can switch, they can trap. They have a lot of versatility. Again, they're, you know, Wake Forest has struggled in the ACC as of late. But I really like how like how they're able to play. NC State. Um, definitely yes, the that was what I was thinking of. Yeah. On Kevin Keats. Um, I love their attacking style of play. I had a chance to spend a lot. I had a chance to spend a lot of time with them in the spring last year. He loved his team coming back. He loved that they were able to do in the transfer portal. Um, I can say he was upbeat about the group. He knew what they had in front of him. And so I like how they play. I mean, they're pressing and you know, push you up and down the floor, but they play really free offensively. DJ Burnsy, the the transfer coming but coming back in there has really made a difference for them, giving them a low post presence, giving them someone that can score in some of these broken plays. I love watching NC State play. Um, they've been a lot of fun. And then I think the Mountain West yes. is a conference that I think we got to start taking a look at because I believe they're going to get multiple bids in this NCAA tournament. Boise State's leading that right now. San Diego State's also there. Nevada's really good in that league and New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be a, a race that everyone should be looking at because that's a potential bid stealer right there in that league. We know what New Mexico's done all year long. They have one of the longest winning streaks in the college basketball this past year. Um, but Boise State's winning that league right now, their first place. They've got a huge matchup coming up today, I believe. And, and so it's going to be fun. I mean, I think that's a league that you really have to pay attention to. And then lastly, I would say because it's so all over the place right now, college basketball, you've got to do a great job of paying attention to the SEC, the Big Ten, and these teams that right now we think are on the fringe. Yeah. Um, because they some, Number one, one or two of them is going to get, are going to get hot. But most importantly, their talented teams are just kind of getting beat up in their league right now, and they may do better in a tournament setting against a team outside of their league. And so, again, I don't think they're bid stealers, but I think with it being so up in the, up in the air right now, there's a lot of good teams that, that we've got to pay attention to that have a chance to, to impact uh, the bracket in March. Well, I'll tell you a funny story, and I, I shared this earlier today just in a radio interview, but – I, I talked to Jamie Dixon this summer. I was interviewing him for something. And TCU last year, for people who forget, um, they got hot. They got hot late in the year. They they were actually the last team to beat Kansas last season. They 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 beat Kansas. Then they actually had a weird you know scheduling thing where they played them twice in a week. They almost beat them at Fog Allen. Kansas doesn't lose a game the rest of the year. TCU goes to the tournament, wins an NCAA tournament game, and they should have frankly beaten Arizona in the round of thirty two. But why I bring it up was, you know, I kind of asked Jamie Dixon, I think, you know, over the last 10 or 12, you know, their, their record showed that they were really good. And I said, you know, when did you feel like you had turned a corner or did you feel like that the whole time you had a really good team? And he said, we always had a good team. We always felt good about our guys. He's like, the problem is in the big 12, there's just so many good teams. Like you can't go on like a six game win streak in the big 12 or win eight out of nine or whatever, where there's tangible results to prove that. And I'll say this is, you know, I I've been an advocate of, of the sec. I think that for years that people haven't given them enough credit for their basketball, but like this year in the big 12, I just think it is such like, like I was thinking about this literally this week is I think I could legitimately see their top six of Kansas, Kansas state, Iowa state, Baylor, Texas, and maybe I'm missing somebody else, at least five. So those five, and I think I'm actually missing somebody else. I'll try to remember it off the top of my head. I could see all of those teams having success in the NCAA tournament. But again, it's like on any given night, if you just get the wrong team in the wrong venue, I I told a buddy, like, 
I almost feel like it's the NFL where there's such a small margin where it's like you can look great one week in, in the NFL and you could just play the wrong, you know, the Cowboys can beat the Vikings by 30 something points and then lose to the commanders the week later, you know? And it's like, that's kind of how I feel watching the big 12 every night where, you know, Baylor was on, I think a six game winning streak beats Arkansas beat Kansas last week. Um, and obviously Arkansas is not a conference game, but I bring it up because six, seven game win streak, then they go to Texas and Texas is coming off a loss at Tennessee. And it's like, and Texas smacks Baylor. So I just, I'll say this is I probably don't talk about those teams enough. I don't know if there's any like super compelling conversation about, Oh, TCU was obviously the team I was forgetting. So TCU, uh, Iowa state, Baylor, Texas, Kansas, Kansas state. That's six teams that I legitimately am like, when I watch them, I'm like, they get the right draw. They get the not even the right draw. Just the way that they play, the way that they defend, multiple guys that can get you buckets. I'm like, these teams are really freaking good, and people just don't realize it. Or I can't talk about it on a show like this because Iowa State never goes on a seven game win streak, or Kansas State when they win five, then they lose one because that's how the league is. I just think we often overlook, especially that league, because there's so many good teams in that league. Yeah, and I think what. Well, when I'm looking at it, I'm trying to look at attributes a team has that will allow it the opportunity to play or win a game or two in March. Sure. Um, like TCU, the attributes that they have, they have great spurt ability. They can defend you at the rim. They can play fast or slow. The ability to play fast or slow is important because you don't necessarily know your matchup and you're not always going to have a great night. You know, you can get to a neutral side environment when none of these teams have played a neutral side environment really in the last few weeks. Anything can happen. The energy inside an NCAA tournament game is incredible because it's neutral. You know, you're going to have half the fans are there for you, not even half, a third are there for you, a third are there for the other team, and a lot of people are there for the game before you, the game after you, and then there's just fans from that. So it's it's a completely different environment, and and it's just very different, and it takes time to adjust to that. So the ability and the attributes to be able to play differently I think really matter. Yeah. Um, you know, can you score the ball quickly? Can you can you score the ball in under 10 seconds? You know, if you need to, if you need to score at the end of the clock, right? Like if I look at a team like Xavier, that would be my concern. Um, they score the ball really well, their offense moves the ball, but when they really need a basket, can they score without Sean Miller having to call a play for it and having to create it? Because in the NCAA tournament, you're gonna you can end up in that situation pretty easily. And, and so when I look at it, I just think what teams have these attributes that make it really tough out um, if you're in a tough situation that maybe you haven't been in under pressure a ton. And there is no pressure like NCAA tournament pressure because everybody knows if you win, you go home. So I want to ask you about that because this is a, a half-baked theory that I've had and I've never kind of run any data to, to go through this. But if you look, even really good teams, if they don't have tournament experience – those are generally the ones that get knocked out early. So I'll give you an example. Two years ago, Illinois with Io DeSumo, number one seed. Everybody's excited. They win the Big Ten tournament. They're like the buzz it team entering the tournament. And with good reason, they had you know a bunch of really good players. They had never, th that group had never been to a tournament. The tournament was canceled the year before in 2020. So none of them had played in a tournament. They get bounced around to by Loyola. And so I bring it up because that's like, that's literally like my only concern about some of these teams. Like I think Kansas state is awesome, but you have one or two guys that kind of played in the tournament at other places, but Jerome Tang's a first year head coach. That's not a criticism. It's just a reality. And you have so many of those guys that have never been there before 
And that's just one of my things that I always look for in determining a champion. Do you have guys that have been in the tournament that understand the stakes, all that? Um, and it sounds like there's some tangible, you know, maybe not literal proof, but metaphorical proof that that really does matter once we get to the end of the season. Yeah, you know, I would I would I can't disagree with that. Um, I think having been there before does help because you recognize the energy that's in the building. You can anticipate it. You've, you've been there. You can understand it well. Um, we always felt like the first game was the hardest game, no matter what, whether we're a higher seed or lower seed. First game's the hardest game. You've got one team who everyone's picking against. You've got one team everyone's picking for. Rarely are those games 50-50 in terms of who, who respects who. Um, so you're going to have that dynamic. And if a team's really hot, they, they know they have a chance to upset and move on to the next round. So there's always that sort of dynamic. I think the thing to watch for right now would be which teams are really enjoying playing together. Yeah. Um, because it's a long year. You know, we saw St. John's 44 all, 44 all game last night. Starting point guard slams his goggles down. They get a technical. He gets ejected. And I use this as an example, not for St. John's, but as an example that players get really tired through the course of the year. Yeah. Um, and if you're not enjoying playing this game, the pressure mounts even more. Um, and so I want to see teams are really finding a way to enjoy themselves, especially right now. The yeah. second time you're playing an opponent, when maybe you don't have all your best, maybe you don't feel the best, if you're still finding ways to enjoy it, I think you have a better chance when you get in the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. I, I always wonder when teams get upset. And I remember a lot of these teams, they sort of limp their way into the NCAA tournament, and then they get upset. And they're right, they're rated – you know, they get their ranking in the NCAA because of what they did early in the year, really not what they did late, you know. And those teams are not having fun the last month of the season. They're not winning. They're not playing well. Their coaches are all over them. Um, so I add that in as another thing to look for. If your team is enjoying playing the game, no matter what, enjoying competing, you've got a chance to really continue to play. And if they're not, you have you have the right to feel concerned. So actually, that's one more follow up, and I'll kind of let you go on that because I know you got stuff to do. But um, that I remember like years ago, like when I first started this podcast, I had Robbie Hummel on this show, and I remember asking him this exact question because I, as a consumer of the sport, like I love it, and I don't even cover only college basketball. I, I have to watch the NFL, watch college football, follow this, follow that. But I do feel, you know, I'm following everything starting in November, and I I can feel myself in February like. I've seen Indiana 9, 10, 11 times. There's nothing I can see in an Indiana game on February 11th that I don't know about them or Kentucky or Baylor or UCLA or whoever. And so I only bring it up because by like, I really want to say like the first week of February, like it does start start to feel like not really a grind, but it's like sort of a grind even for fans and consumers of the sport. And, and I remember asking Rob about this and he said, oh yeah, no, us players feel it too. Like you said, you know, now you're playing more road games in January into February. You're 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 racking up the miles. You've been with these guys, you know, now, especially because you come back in June and you're able to work with the coaches. You've been with them nine months now at this point. So I feel like there is something to that of like by February. And, and by the way, there are plenty of teams that just, you know, it, it is a mental fatigue, a physical fatigue, and it isn't necessarily that they don't like each other. Um, but I just feel like February, like, like, one, how realistic is that? And then two, as a coach, how do you combat that? Because I could see, again, 
the excitement of the season wears off. Then you get a break for Christmas. Then the excitement of conference play. And then you get to like February 10th. And it's like, we've seen all these teams once. We've been together every day since we got back from Christmas. We're a month still from the finish line. And I can see like players, Not it's not a bad thing. It's just a human nature thing. Like, how do you keep guys engaged at a time like that? Well, I think mindset training is really important. And I think every every bit of training that you're starting when the players arrive with you in June or July is to build you for now. Um, we want to be at our best and our best is required. And you can't do that unless you find ways to get through your fatigue, unless you find ways to get through adversity. Um, and so I think it's, it's vital that you don't start right now. You, you, if you start right now, you're late. Um, so we would always be building things in as the year would go on. You might hear some coaches use themes each week, each game. Um, what have you each month. I think themes are an easy way to just continue to redirect focus and to build. I think the idea of building something is really healthy for an individual to see what you're doing through the course of the year. Um, the way you practice, um, do you practice super hard and wear them down? Do you back off a little bit? Um, trying to figure out that with your team and how to get the most out of them, I think is really important. We would really talk more right now about our eating and our and our, our eating would become very important. So maybe we're adding an extra meal where we can mm-hmm. add an extra meal in um, because, you know, good food makes you happy. Sure. So, you know, we want to make sure we're doing that. And then in general, you know, some simple things we would do, which may, many people may think are corny, you know, the night before we're getting ready for the pregame, we may – before we, you know, we pregame meal, we may do a game or something. You know, you may have someone stand up and sing a song or, you know, sort of different things just to lighten the mood because you want it to be fun. You want them to be able to enjoy it. And so we would just try to find different ways, whether it was like playing hangman in the meeting space or watching a short movie clip or whatever to, to create motivation. Uh, coaches have used a lot of things throughout the years. I've done a lot of things throughout the years. And it's really about knowing your team and knowing which buttons to press and finding a way to make that make the pressure feels like feel like pleasure so you can really enjoy it. I think it's really important. What's the craziest thing you've ever done and gotten your team to loosen up? You ever take them like paintball shooting or something like that in like February? We we would usually go paintball in, in August. That's kind of in our summer. I love paintball. Um, You know, our our players came up with this when I was in Mount St. Mary's, everyone had to act out their favorite scene in a movie. Oh, okay. And it was just so fun. I mean, they made me do it as well. Um, so it was just fun that like, and, and any one of the players could call you out at any time to have to do it. Mm. Um, and so just like little stuff like that, I think empowering your team um, on the things that they, you know, stuff like that can really go a long way this time of year. And our very best teams, we had great player empowerment and they would come up with different ways to keep it loose and keep it fun. Um, I would say that's probably, you know, we brought our pinatas after wins. Okay. Um, where you get to break the pinata and they all love the candy that comes out of that. So, you know, we've done a lot of different things. Um, but I would say the acting because the guys would pick really interesting scenes um, was really a great time. I won't ask what movies. I, I don't know if I want answers to that, but uh la- last thing, I mean, anything going into the weekend, I mean, my big thing before we came on was, I think Duke and Carolina, they're playing this weekend. Nobody's talking about it. It feels like it's lost a little bit of its luster post-Coach K. Part of it is neither team's very good. UNC's coming off a loss to Pitt. Uh, I think they're 15-7 and overall, something like that. Anything that that stands out to you going into this weekend? Because, you know, it's the first weekend in forever without football. Uh, We got one football game left, and then it is officially go time for college hoops. So, I mean, anything that's standing out going into Saturday or Sunday? 
you know, I disagree. I think Carolina and Duke are also uh, still very good teams. I think Carolina's been hurt all year long and just have not been able to get healthy. Um, I think they're still pretty dangerous. Um, I think Mondo, they could be dangerous. I just don't think they're good right now. Good. Yeah, I think they, they're, they're hurt from staring at Caleb. Their necks are turning from Caleb Love taking bad shots. But anyway, I didn't mean to cut you yeah, off. No, I, you know, I think I think they've just been hurt all year long. Um, I like this Duke team. Um, I think I don't want to judge them too early because Jeremy Roach has been in and out of the lineup. Sure. And I think he's very important for them. I like how they can score the ball. Um, they, they've, they've lost some games I thought they had a chance to win. I think their first time with their freshmen playing in this Duke Carolina game I really want to see that opportunity. You know, I had a chance to watch both these teams practice in the fall. And so I've been really eager to watch this game for a while to see how the freshmen of Duke would respond and how the veterans of North Carolina. And this is a game for both these teams that could turn the season. Um, that energy that's going to be in that building, it's going to be electric. It's always a great game. So I'm excited to watch those two teams play. Um, as always, I think it'll I think it'll be a classic again because you're going to have two teams Aaron, that are really hungry to win, mm-hmm. really hungry in a rivalry game that usually turns out to be pretty good basketball. Well, and I know most of Duke's roster wasn't there last year, but I do think there's some revenge factor. They were obviously all watching the final Coach K game, the final four game where North Carolina beat them in both. Um, and then I think for Carolina, there's like a, you know, we run this rivalry now element to it where I don't think they want to uh, lose that game. And I, I think the game is at Cameron. So, you know, you certainly would love to go and quiet the the, the crowd there. But Jamie and Christian, uh, you can follow him on twist, Twitter at Jamie and Christian. Uh, doing some writing for us at Aaron Torres Online, coming on with me, coming on with Zach Crow, College Hoops Daily, uh, and that's it, man. You you're actually at the gym right now, so you're you're like in between games, I hope or whatever. But man, I appreciate the time, uh, and we'll do it again in a couple weeks. Okay, thanks so much. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. Really quickly, before we get to America's Favorite Podcast segment, you know what it is. How good is Jamie and Christian, man? Listen, I hope you guys and girls are loving and enjoying having Jamie and as part of the Aaron Torres podcast empire as much as I am. Every time I bring that guy on, I learn something about college basketball, NIL, the portal, roster construction, individual teams, whatever. Uh, so thank you to Jamie and make sure to follow him on Twitter at Jamie and Christian. And again, he is part of uh, Aaron Torres Media. He's doing writing at Aaron Torres Online, uh, part of the College Hoops Daily podcast with Zach Kroll. So make sure to check out Jamie. And listen, I, I, I it sounds like he is going to be getting back into coaching after this year. Don't know how much longer we'll have access to a Division One head coach. If you ever want to send any questions, by the way, always feel free to shoot me an email Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. I uh, will save them for the next time Jamie is on. Uh, but yeah, he is really, really, really good, and I enjoy learning from him. But that said, I do want to wrap the show with what is quickly turned into America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. By now, you know the drill. Stole this from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin, of course, does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. Uh, and I decided to bring it to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And the reason, it's pretty straightforward, right? Uh, over the course of a week, a month, a year, multiple years, Nobody loves talking more about himself and what he got right more than your boy Torres. Torres said this. Torres said that. Why didn't you listen to Torres? Torres, 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 Torres. Just one problem. I get an awful lot of stuff wrong too. And so this is a fun way 
to uh, to wrap the week every week. Aaron right, Aaron wrong, talking about my best takes of the week, my worst takes of the week, making fun of myself. Nobody is better at that than I am because I get a lot of stuff wrong. Let's get into it where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, where Aaron was right. So we talked about it off the top. Tom Brady is officially a retired man for the second time. This time it feels official. And I'll just say, I said from the beginning of the year, I said even in week one when Tampa beat Dallas, I said something is not right with Tom Brady. And so I think the totality of his divorce, of losing Gronk, of losing Bruce Arians, of having a beat-up veteran roster that maybe isn't as good as it was even two years ago, the totality of playing for Todd Bowles, a defensive coordinator, I think it just got to him. I really do believe this is it. I really do believe this is over. Um, And that's no disrespect to Tom Brady. I just think the reality remains. He is ready to move on with his life. And I'll tell you, I talked about it a few weeks ago. I never really thought he was going anywhere else. You know, we, we heard all these stories about, could he go to Vegas with Josh McDaniels? Could he go to San Francisco, his hometown? And I said, look, he just lost his whole family. Now he's going to move 3,000 miles away from his kids. I don't believe it. So to Tom Brady, enjoy retirement. Here's the good news. You got $37 million a year to broadcast games at Fox next year. So uh, Tom Brady's going to be doing all right for himself. Where Aaron was wrong. So last week in the lead up to the AFC Championship game, I tried to do this big narrative of, well, if Joe Burrow beats Patrick Mahomes, then that means that Joe Joe Burrow is the best quarterback in the league. And what I realized about midway through the third quarter of that AFC Championship game, Chiefs beat the the Bengals, it's not that Patrick Mahomes is definitively better. It's that it's just really stupid to argue either one. Both are elite. Both are super talented. Both are insanely gifted. Both, by the way, it should be mentioned, we're dealing with injuries. Patrick Mahomes had, Patrick Mahomes had his injury. Joe Burrow's playing beha- behind a beat-up offensive line. You're limited with certain guys that you have available to you. Patrick Mahomes coming off losing Tyreek Hill in the offseason. Joe Burrow didn't have Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase at various points this season. Here's the bottom line. We don't have to debate. We don't have to discuss. This doesn't have to be LeBron versus MJ. Can we just acknowledge, and I include myself because I got this wrong. They're both really awesome. We don't have to elevate one and drag down the other. Where Aaron was right. We opened the show talking about Duke Carolina and if it's lost some buzz. And if you go back to what I said at the end of last college basketball season when Coach K was coming down the wire, what I said about the John Shire era was this. I said, for college basketball's sake, I hope Duke under John Shire is one of two things. Either really good, or really bad because if they're really good then you as a college basketball fan has to be invested because you're like gosh golly duke is good again like duke just got the next coach k and he's going to be here for another 30 years winning the acc competing for national championship every year you either want that or you want really bad losing to georgia tech almost like what louisville is the laughing stock of college basketball What you never wanted from Duke under John Shire is exactly what they are right now, which is good, but not great. There is nothing interesting about meh. There's nothing interesting about okay. Really good is really interesting. Really bad is really interesting. Think about even, you know, sports in general. The great, great, great teams you love talking about and you love talking about the dumpster fires like Louisville basketball, like Texas A&M football like the Los Angeles Lakers, like, uh, you know, whoever, the, the worst team in the NFL that you can think of. What you don't want is to be in the middle. That's exactly what Duke is. 
And I'll just say this. Duke has never felt less important, less relevant, or to be blunt, less interesting since I started watching college basketball close to 30 years ago. Where Aaron was wrong. Well, if you remember back to the preseason, I said, I think North Carolina is the number one team in the country, and they are my preseason pick to win the national championship. Just one problem. They enter this Duke Carolina game on Saturday. They are coming off of a loss to Pitt. By the way, they've lost three of their last four to Pitt at home, and I think five of six overall. And Carolina is currently sitting, as I record here right now, the North Carolina Tar Heels, the team that I picked to win the national championship in the preseason, is currently sitting at 15-7 and overall. Now, the good news, there's plenty of time to figure it out. We know that North Carolina wasn't very good at this time last year. Ironically, it was a loss to Pitt at home, which really spurred them the rest of the way. If you remember, they lost to Pitt. That was their last regular season loss. They went 11-2 from there. Only other losses were to Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament and in the national championship game. So there's time to turn things around, but this team just isn't very good right now. I know they've dealt with injuries, as Jamie and just talked about. I know Armando Baycott hasn't been 100%. But this Carolina team, they are just not who I thought they were. A lot of the same problems from last year. I am officially worried. Where Aaron was right. So listen, I'm not going to do a victory lap on John Calipari and Kentucky, but after they lost to Alabama, I said, listen, I know this is bad right now, but this is still an NCAA tournament team. Now, can they get back to preseason top 10? Can they be a title contender? That I never claimed. But I said, this is still a good team. John Calipari will figure it out. And what I actually said was going into the Kansas game, if you looked at the schedule, I said, I think they will be about five and one in their next six going into the Kansas game. That's exactly what they were. Now, I could have anticipated the loss to South Carolina and the win at Tennessee, but the bottom line is this. Kentucky is going to be okay. Now, I understand the barometer is national championships. The barometer is to compete at the highest level every year, and it remains to be seen if Kentucky can be that. But at the same time, there were people saying, important people, Kentucky's not going to make the tournament. I said, pump the brakes. They're going to find a way. They're going to get enough wins. And they've largely been pretty good since that Alabama loss. Certainly very good since that South Carolina loss. The only game that they have not won was at home to Kansas in a game that Kansas played lights out. And I don't think anybody was beating Kansas on that night. Told you Kentucky was going to be fine. Still think they will be. They're a tournament team. Now, they got to start winning games starting on Saturday at home against Florida and then uh, Tuesday against Arkansas. Arkansas is coming to Rupp Arena. You got to start winning those games to build a resume to get yourself a good seed. But I'm telling you, this is a team that's starting to figure it out. Assuming Case and Wallace is okay, I like them going forward. Where Aaron was wrong. So on Monday's show, I did a recap of all things college basketball. And I did a big thing about, uh, you know, Tennessee basketball. Have they finally figured it out under Rick Barnes? Is this finally the year they make the NC a deep run in the tournament? Because guess what? They have real offensive capability this year. Uh, and maybe it was just the fact that they dealt with a lot of injuries early in the season. That was my thought. That was, I, that was what I believed as recently as like Monday and Tuesday of this week. And then Tennessee went on the road and they did the typical Rick Barnes thing where they not only lost, but they lost in embarrassing fashion, 67-54 at on the road to Florida. Now, look, Florida's a good team. They're playing fine under Todd Golden. I don't think they're great, but they're playing fine. 
but this was about Tennessee. Tennessee, if you're a national championship contender, Tennessee, if you're legit, Tennessee, if you're a program that wants to be feared going into March, this is a game you're supposed to win. You're coming off the great win against Texas at home. You follow it up. I don't care that you're going on the road. I don't care that it's league play. That's a game you're supposed to win. They didn't. Tennessee fans, I'm sorry. I I believed in you when you probably shouldn't. Where Aaron was right. So a game we talked about was Wednesday night. Xavier in overtime beats Providence. Xavier now tied atop the Big East standings. Listen, for years, I said on this show, Sean Miller, I get it. I get why if you're not an Arizona fan when he was at Arizona, why you either didn't like Sean Miller, didn't trust him. There was the NCAA stuff, which he was largely cleared for. But I said, this guy's a heck of a basketball coach, man. This guy knows what he's doing. I think there's a, a fun fact that not a lot of people know. You know that Sean Miller is the third winningest uh, coach, and not the third winningest coach. He has the third best win percentage in the history of the Pac-12 behind only John Wooden and Lute Olsen. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. And I bring it up because I always felt like because he never made that final four run, because he never made that deep tournament run, he never got the credit that he deserved in terms of how good of a coach he was, how good of a program builder he was, and the success that he had. Well, Xavier's now 18-5. and five. Xavier is tied with Marquette at 10-2 and two in the league standings in the Big East, and Xavier is good enough to compete at the highest levels and win it all. I give Sean Miller credit, man. I thought they would be really good this year. I did not think that they would be this good, this soon, this quick. Give them a ton of credit. They are really good. Where Aaron was wrong. I'll just say this. You know, I, I and I mentioned this with Jamie in a minute ago. I've been a big proponent of SEC basketball over the last couple of years. And really about four or five weeks ago, going into league play, I said, you know, you have that upper echelon of teams. Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, maybe Kentucky. They hadn't really played anybody or beaten anybody at that point. And then you have that second tier of teams that I think is better than people realize. Missouri, LSU, Mississippi State. Well, just one problem. That upper tier hasn't been quite as good as we thought. Arkansas has struggled, although they're starting to play better. Kentucky, we just talked about. But the middle and bottom of this league, this particular season, just is not good. Mississippi State, at one point, never forget, Mississippi State under Chris Jans was ranked this year at one point. Well, they're now 14 and 8 and 2 and 7 in the big in the SEC. Now it's worth noting they did beat TCU in the out of conference uh last week in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. TCU's best player got hurt, that's worth noting. They also have wins over Marquette in Utah, which should help them going into potentially getting a bid on selection Sunday. But Mississippi State isn't good, and LSU, with friend of the Aaron Torres pod, Matt Matt McMahon, is not very good. They are 12-10, and 1-8 in SEC play. I thought the middle and bottom of this league was better than it's ever been. I'll be honest, it might actually be worse than it's been in a long time. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I do think it is time for me to get out of here. Before we do get out of here, I want to remind everybody, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Apple. Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, Aaron Tor, uh, uh, Aaron Torres on YouTube. You can just find it there. Uh, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron. I think I just said that. I'm getting all flustered here. It's the end of the show. It's the end of the week. I'm getting out of here. Thank you all for your support. Thank you for everything you do. 
Thank you for allowing Aaron Torres Media to continue to grow in ways that I could have never imagined. And oh, by the way, thank you again to our presenting sponsor at Betfred Sportsbook. Shout out to Tork. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back Monday. New episode, Aaron Torres Pod. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.